African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. You're listening to us uh, on uh, DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And uh, if you're listening to us uh, online, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue, where we look at the big issues on the African continent, expound on them, and try to give you more updates on the situations on the ground. Well, let's look at that story that Anne was actually looking at, uh, which was uh, looking at the situation in terms of the updates of uh, uh, the uh, cyclone Kenneth. We know that there is a lot of destruction in the country, and it seems the flooding has also kind of uh, created obstacles for humanitarian aid. But as you heard in that bulletin, the death toll from cyclone Kenneth has reached 38 after uh, the second tropical storm to hit Mozambique in a matter of weeks brought sweeping rains, heavy flooding and destruction. Uh, The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres in a statement called on the international community for additional resources that are critical for the response to both cyclones in the immediate medium and longer term. Let's listen to this report from Sherwin Bryce Peets who was uh, reporting from the UN headquarters in New York. Rising floodwaters, roads submerged and people trapped in their homes awaiting rescue. Kenneth bringing winds of well over 200 kilometers per hour, collapsing homes and displacing thousands as the government struggles to cope with the immediate humanitarian response. Stefan Dusharik is the Secretary General spokesperson. At least five fatalities have been reported in Mozambique and more than 18,000 people have been displaced and are sheltering in accommodation centers as a result of Cyclone Kenneth, which made landfall in the country late last week. At least 33, excuse me, 3,380 houses have been destroyed. Schools and health facilities have also been damaged. That's according to our humanitarian colleagues. In the Comoros, uh, more than 41,000 people have been affected, while four people lost their lives and 182 suffered injuries related to the cyclone. Of additional concern is that Cyclone Kenneth appeared in a region that just six weeks earlier was devastated by the sheer strength and breadth of Cyclone Idai, with the southern African nations of Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Malawi, some of the poorest countries in the world, the hardest hit. Weather forecasts indicate further rains can be expected, with deadly mudslides already experienced in the Pemba region, further complicating recovery efforts. I'm Sherwin Bryce-Pease in New York. Well, uh, to assist us and to take this story further, we joined uh, on the line by Peter Kamalingen, who's the Oxfam Pan-Africa Director. Uh, he's joining us uh, on the line. Uh, he's joining us from Uganda. We also have uh, David Matsinhe, who's Amnesty International's researcher for Southern Africa. And uh, last but not least, we have Gerald Buick, who's the Regional Communications Officer uh, for Southern Africa. I want to thank all our guests uh, for giving us their time for uh, the 
this discussion this morning. Well, let me start with you, Peter. Very recently, we spoke around the blog that you wrote around um, the need to actually wrap up uh, or to really increase um, the humanitarian response in this particular crisis. And now that we've seen Cyclone Kenneth, we know that uh, we have seen the humanitarian need scale up and uh, this is actually creating more problems in terms of also the need on the ground in terms of the infrastructural limitations that are underway because we know heavy rains are still uh, in Mozambique right now. So a lot that still needs to be done, Peter. Yes, uh, certainly there's a lot that needs to be done. For those in the front line of the crisis, uh, the agency is now, now, now. But I think uh, as we respond to the crisis at the moment as we also acknowledge the efforts of the local communities, the local governments, uh, and all the people who are doing everything within their means to assist and save lives, I think we must not lose out the lessons from this, uh, this crisis and what we learn from it because this phenomenon of climate change can only mean that we are going to have more of this kind of crisis. They're going to be more frequent. And I think the humanitarian capacities of local communities, national communities, and also the traditional aid community is going to be overstretched. So there's need for us to learn and to do things before uh, because investment on preventive work and early warning and preparedness is always going to be cheaper than uh, coming in uh, late. Mm. And in terms of the fact that uh, what we heard from uh, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres in terms of we need to also respond to this particular uh, situation in not just uh, uh, one measure, but we need to find different ways to see uh, the long-term and the short-term effects, Peter. Yes, absolutely. There is need for investment. Uh, for This is exactly what the, the, the... If there's any lesson that we learn from it, it is the kind of things that we do uh, in terms of infrastructure development around vulnerable areas. If it is in the coastlines, what is it that we do? Uh, they are, you know, um, you know, in terms of the planning, uh, national planning, uh, city planning, community planning, infrastructure planning, it must be sensitive to this kind of crisis more and more, I think, in the future. Uh, and also, you know, being prepared on what needs to be done when a crisis of this magnitude, I think, uh, presents. So mm, there's need mm. for, for investment. Uh, good development, good development, good infrastructure is one that is preventive uh, of disasters and also one that helps uh, people uh, to mm. cope with any crisis when it happens. Sure. Uh, it also means that the national budget planning mm. uh, framework needs to be clear about this as well, and also pulling resources across countries and, 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 and multilaterally. Mm. Let me move to Gerald Bjork, who is the Regional Communications Officer for Southern Africa for the World Food Program. Uh, Gerald, thank you for also giving us your time, and welcome to Channel Africa. Thank you, Benjamin. I mean, there is a huge need, as was highlighted there by Peter Gerald, and it just also was highlighted by the United Nations Office for the Coordination for Humanitarian Work that the needs have skyrocketed and the humanitarian response will need to be rapidly scaled up, especially uh, for Mozambique. And on a food um, uh, level, which is what your organization does, Gerald, I'm sure there's also a need in that regard. Absolutely, yes. Um, We understand that uh, just like uh, after Cyclone Idai uh, uh, to the south, uh, tens of thousands of hectares of crops have been wiped out, washed away, uh, and that generates not just a short-term food crisis, 
that needs to be very quickly addressed, but also a longer-term crisis in that typically um, Mozambique's food is grown by smallholder farmers. Uh, there is one crop a year, uh, and if that crop is wiped out, well, then those uh, producers of that food are going to need help um, uh, for a much longer period, essentially until the middle of 2020, wow. uh, when the next main crop comes along. Uh, and as the Oxfam co uh, colleague mentioned, uh, in, in the long term, the challenge is climate change and rendering uh, vulnerable people, vulnerable communities in Mozambique and elsewhere in southern Africa resilient to the, uh, the impacts of, of uh, those climate shocks. And in terms of that particular issue that you're highlighting, Gerald, in terms of how these floods are going to change the agricultural landscape of the country, could you elaborate on that? Because as you highlighted, it's not just something that's going to just uh, fade away after uh, the, the floods have subsided or the rains have stopped. Sure. As I say, it's a, it's a medium to long-term problem. Um, we understand that uh, Idai and the flooding that ensued thereafter wiped out around about 700,000 tons of, uh, of croplands, and that was right uh, at the beginning of the harvest. So that's a huge amount of food, and that's in a country, Mozambique, which has some of the highest rates of malnutrition uh, in Africa. More than half the children under five in Mozambique are physically stunted. Uh, because of lack of food, uh, lack of a proper diet. So it's, it's a huge crisis that has been brought to its head by two successive cyclones uh, among the biggest storms ever to hit the African continent. Mm. Let me bring in David Matinye, who is from Amnesty International. He's a researcher for Southern Africa there. Uh, David, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Just listening from uh, Peter and uh, Gerald, you're starting to get the picture that uh, this is going to be something that is going to affect uh, the Southern African region for a long time, and it's not just a short-term problem uh, that the region has. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it seems to me what was that we have entered a new normal because we have not seen this before. It's unprecedented in the history of climate in Southern, Southern Africa. Mm. But before I get into that, I just want to say something about, you know, the preparatory conditions within which, you know, all of these things have happened. If we speak about Cabo Delgado in the north, we know that in Cabo Delgado, that province has been facing extremist attacks. People have not been producing food for more than two years now. Uh, and journalists are not allowed. The media is not allowed to go into those areas to report on what's happening. So that means this uh, cyclone and the flooding have aggravated the situation. Now, if you have a place where journalists and the media are not allowed, we practically don't know the full reality of the impact of these, you know, um, uh, cyclone and the flood. So that's that's the first one. The second one is the fact that the city of Pemba has problems of, you know, sanitation. Now we just received reports, you know, that um, 
uh, a waste dump has collapsed and killed a number of people. We still don't know how many people have been killed. Okay, and the whole province of Cabo Delgado has the highest rate of madhouses in Mozambique. That's where you know the, the, that that that's one of the reasons you know the impact is much is much uh, bigger in that province. So there's a lot of factors that we, we should take into account when we look into this. And all of those issues have something to do with the state's obligation to ensure that people enjoy the economic, social, and cultural rights. And the government has not been doing a good job. However, we also think that uh, the international community... Hello? I'm still here very, very keen to hear yes. more of your thoughts there, David, and I think yes. you're highlighting very interesting dynamics there and very uh, important facts. Absolutely. Uh, we, we also believe that the international community has a great responsibility here because we are seeing a manifestation of injustice in terms of you know, climate change. Since the Industrial Revolution, we know which countries have contributed a great deal in greenhouse emissions. Uh, Mozambique doesn't have not much of, it, of industries to produce uh, greenhouse emissions to affect climate change in the same scale as uh, rich countries, mm. you know, have. Mm. Mm. So there's a lot of injustice there. So we strongly believe that the international community, especially rich countries, must participate fully in ensuring that all of these infrastructures that we are talking about are built, mm. that when aid is required, they are there to aid you know, the, the people mm. who are hit um, um, heavily by you know, these climatic conditions. Mm. All right, let me take so a quick that, break. That's, that's our sense of what's so, happening. So, let me take a quick break, and I'd like to come back to some of the thoughts that David is uh, speaking on there. Uh, you are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us. So, we are the external service of uh, South Africa and the SABC. Thank you for joining us on DSTV channel on uh, channel 802 on the audio book. Okay? And if you're streaming us live on our website, remember we are on www.channelafrica.co.za. Research shows that purpose-led organizations consistently outperform their competitors. Learn more about how shared value thinking can take your business to new heights at the Africa Shared Value Summit from the 23rd to the 24th of May 2019 in Nairobi, Kenya. Learn more and book your ticket at AfricaSharedValueSummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud media partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will broadcast live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss on the broadcasts on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or DSTV Channel 802 for more on what will be transpiring at the summit. Channel Africa from an African perspective. 
22 minutes past 11 o'clock that Central African time. Thank you for joining us as we broadcast from the Johannesburg studios at the South Africa Broadcasting Corporation right here in Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, we're looking at uh, an update, uh, looking at the situation. It's actually very serious listening to the narratives that we've already heard from our various guests who are unpacking the real damage on the ground and the need right now after the second cyclone has hit Mozambique. And we've already mentioned that uh, the death toll has reached uh, the number 38 which is also worrying. If you're just joining us now we have uh, Peter Kamalengen who is an Oxfam Pan-Africa director. Also David Matsinye is Amnesty International's researcher for Southern Africa. And also from the World Food Program we're joined by Gerald Bjork who is uh, the Regional uh, Communications Officer uh, for Southern Africa. And uh, just hearing what uh, David was highlighting, uh, Gerald it seems like there are a lot of factors that are exacerbating this particular situation but also the interesting issue is the fact that this particular um what we've seen with this particular cyclone, these two cyclones, it's unusual. It's never happened in the region before and it a lot of people are saying maybe the region must start looking at the impact of climate change on, on the region and so we're in an arena where we haven't been as a region. Uh, well, in, in, in fact, uh, Benjamin, yes. I mean, the, the big issue, the big challenge going forward, uh, and not just for Mozambique, but for Southern Africa uh, as a whole, where temperatures uh, are rising twice as fast as the global average. So, um, you know, these two cyclones back-to-back in rapid succession have demonstrated just how vulnerable um, countries like Mozambique are to climate shocks. Uh, and it really is imperative that governments um, work uh, hard to analyze the challenge and address the challenge. Uh, it's, it's, it's a major job of work going forward. It's perhaps an existential crisis. Mm. And also just to just back off some of the issues that David was highlighting is the issue of uh, the poverty uh, that is also experienced in Capo Delgado and that also exacerbates the situation currently. Uh, it, it, it does indeed. As I mentioned, um, uh, Mozambique has one of the highest uh, rates of malnutrition uh, in Africa uh, and Cabo Delgado, very unfortunately, has one of the highest, uh, the second highest uh, rate of malnutrition uh, within Mozambique itself. So these are huge challenges. They're very broad, uh, and they, they really have to be addressed in a meaningful fashion uh, by all those who can, uh, who, who have the capacity to help. Mm. And Peter, when you look at the context of Africa, when it comes to poverty-stricken areas, governments seem to stay away from them. It seems like uh, they're almost the last priority. We usually focus our might as governments on uh, urban areas and urbanization seems to be um, the in thing for Africa. So it's very worrying to see the fact that even the infrastructural development and the reconstruction of uh, this particular uh, region uh, could actually not be prioritized in the way that uh, we thought it could be because already there was a backlog on infrastructural development in this area. Absolutely, um, and that is that is true. I think uh, maybe um, the colleagues have spoken uh, to very serious issues of this of this kind. 
And I think it is true, as a colleague from Amnesty was saying, that, you know, there's some injustice, that climate change and the impact it brings affects people uh, unequally. Uh, and, uh, and even in our own context, no matter where you are, uh, whether in Beira or elsewhere, the people who are most affected disproportionately are always the poor. And I think if you go to the global level, uh, climate change is going to impact poor countries much more than the rich countries. So there's some injustice on that. And there's evidence to show that, you know, countries like Cuba, which are, you know, experience a lot of these storms or cyclone-type kind of emergencies and disasters, because they tend to be more equal, tend to cope better uh, with this kind of crisis. So there's something to be argued about, uh, you know, more equal society being more able to cope with the disasters. So any, uh, any planner on, on national development or global development must be aware that, you know, the kind of development ideologies or philosophies that we, we focus on must be those that increase equity in the way uh, resources of the earth, resources of the globe are shared, uh, or even uh, in countries. Uh, that is something that needs to be uh, spoken about. And that uh, infrastructure, because as I said, I think when we spoke last time as well, uh, these infrastructure investments are huge, and they're going to require, uh, I think, pooling of resources, uh, uh, not just in one country, but between countries as well. So there's need for continued coordination and, 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 and you know, solidarity among uh, countries, uh, particularly in Africa. Mm. I think that is, that's, that is something that is, that is important. Mm. And I think to still have, you know, some of the richest countries denying the phenomenon of climate change, is, is, is of course sad uh, at this point in time uh, because we know what, you know, uh, government such as uh, the one in the United States, I think, uh, you know, it's unfair, it's, it's, it's unfortunate uh, that uh, in the situation where uh, all the science and all the reality that there is in the front lines of Southern Africa now in the coastline, uh, you know, uh, it's still unfortunate that we still have, uh, uh, you know, some of our global leaders denying the obvious. Mm. David, that's a very important point that Peter is highlighting there in terms of uh, the political environment that we find ourselves in. And we know that uh, with the current U.S. President Donald Trump being very conservative around the issues of aid and also having a very fragmented relationship with uh, uh, the United Nations, uh, the humanitarian world has suffered uh, with that uh, kind of conservative and um, uh, isolation mentality that uh, Donald Trump seems to be going by and actually this crisis actually shows uh, the little or slow responses that we're starting to see now uh, in in the humanitarian world Absolutely people like Donald Trump are aided and are based by certain groups of people or social structures within you know society Donald Trump by himself couldn't do all of these things. What is happening, you know, those policies that are taken by, you know, the Donald Trump's administration, and what's happening here in Southern Africa, particularly in Mozambique in this case, these things are connected. Let me give you an example. Cabo Delgado, which is exactly where this cyclone has hit, okay? In fact, the epicenter of this cyclone is rich rich in mineral wealth. And there's a lot of international uh, cooperation mining that area. There's a few large multinational corporations from the United States mining in those areas. So the province is very rich, but the local population never sees any benefits. 
any benefits from these mining activities. Okay? So there's so much inequality that people who own the resources are not benefiting are not benefiting from those resources. That's one point. The second point is in Mozambique, if you look at what has happened in the topography, you'll see that Mozambique has lost its forests. In the last 10, 15 years or so, Mozambique has suffered a great deal of deforestation. Now, when that happens, environmentalists will tell you that you know that creates uh, environmental degradation, which also contributes for uh, extreme you know weather events, you know droughts, and then floods like this that we see, which aggravate you know the, the impact when these when these disasters happen. So there is a lot happening. This this this, this deforestation is connected, you know, to um, you know powerful individuals within the Mozambican government, and you know in in, in other countries. Mm. So these things are happening, and they are very much in, interconnected. Mm. There is a lot of injustice, and we believe, and we call on all of them, international community, especially the rich countries to look at this not just as Mozambique's problem but as a problem to which all of us especially rich countries have contributed into. Mm. Gerald, let me come to you before I go to a break because I think that issue of climate change and also the politics of uh, the current world related to also how the humanitarian aid world is also kind of struggling because of uh, little aid that has or little support that they receive now in, in the current very conservative war geopolitics that we're seeing. And I think that uh, uh, cyc- these cyclones are showing because they're showing that because of the response that we've seen in terms of uh, how long it's taken for uh, international bodies to to respond and also the fact that uh, we've also seen little voices coming out from the international community around this. I think uh, the only champion that we've seen on an international scale is uh, the UN Secretary General who's been constantly begging and begging for resources. Sure, yeah. Um, indeed, around the world, humanitarian needs, humanitarian emergencies are growing and growing. Uh, part of that is climate change. Part of that is conflict. Um, we're looking at um, Syria, Yemen, South Sudan, uh, DR Congo, for example, on the conflict side. Um, uh, in, indeed, the, the needs are growing. But uh, against that, donors, uh, with some exceptions, uh, are overall becoming more generous. It's just that the gap between the needs and the resources available uh, is, is widening. The World Food Program is entirely voluntarily funded, so we are 100% uh, dependent on the generosity of governments, of corporations, uh, and, and of individuals. Um, we estimated shortly after Cyclone Idai um, hit uh, uh, Bera and uh, its hinterland that we would need about 140 million U.S. dollars for the first three months of the response. So we're a food assistance agency, but we are also the humanitarian logistics arm of the United Nations and we are also the emergency telecoms arm of the United Nations. So, as I say, all told, um, our requirement for, for the first three months just for Cyclone Idai 
was 140 million. Today, we have managed to secure about 70 million, so half of the total. Uh, we haven't yet factored in because we are still with others in the process of assessing what the damage from um, Cyclone Kenneth uh, will be uh, and what the needs arising are. So yes, uh, absolutely huge needs, uh, and it's very important that those with the capacity to help step up and help. Well, I'm going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'll just get the final views of our guests. Uh, that is General Gerald Buke, who is uh, the Regional Communications Officer for Southern Africa, and uh, he's joining us uh, from the World Food Program. Uh, we have David Manzini, who is Amnesty International's researcher for Southern Africa, and also the Pan-Africa Director of Oxfam is joining us. That's Peter Kamalingen. It's 35 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue. Well, let's uh, take a quick break and we'll get our concluding statements after this break. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective are the third annual Africa Shared Value Summit taking place from the 23rd to the 24th of May 2019 in Nairobi, Kenya. Thought leaders and business changemakers from across Africa will share insights and case studies showing how shared value can transform your business and create the Africa we want. Book your ticket at africasharedvaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will broadcast live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcast on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or tune in to DSTV Channel 802 to be part of the conversation. Channel Africa, African Perspective. Channel Africa, definitely this is where you get the African perspective. And today we're continuing our updates on looking at the situation when it comes to the cyclones uh, that have uh, hit uh, Southern Africa, specifically uh, Mozambique that's been affected the most, especially with uh, the second uh, uh, cyclone to hit the country. Well, uh, let me get my final views from our guests uh, today who've been helping us understand the context of this and also what is very clear clear from all our guests is the fact that we're seeing a deepening need in this uh, situation and this crisis specifically in Mozambique but also let's not forget Zimbabwe let's also not forget Malawi and maybe also the emphasis of Mozambique is important 
But in that light, let's not forget uh, the other two countries. David, that also makes things complex, isn't it? That we still have two other countries here that are also still recovering. Absolutely. And that means these countries must begin to see themselves as having artificial borders and begin to cooperate when it comes to uh, disasters like this. We cannot continue to live as if we are not related to one another. There must be communication, there must be coordination between this, these countries affected by uh, extreme weather conditions like this and work together to come up with some uh, solutions. The outpouring of love, of compassion, and of funds to Notre Dame in Paris. We would like to see the same thing happening here for these countries affected uh, by these uh, natural disasters. We also appeal for the Mozambican government, Mozambican government to ensure that the rights of the people affected are protected because we've heard said stories and allegations of violation of rights mm. in Beira. We yeah. do not want to hear about that. So, And also that there's is, that story, sorry that to cut you opinion. off there, David, whereby yeah. we also saw um, women being um, uh, taken advantage of because of their poverty and their situation. In fact, they had nowhere to go. I read a story in, uh, around Zimbabwe on, on that uh, women being abused sexually after the floods. Absolutely. We want these governments to investigate and hold responsible those found guilty of these acts. We do not want to hear similar stories in Cap Delgado. It shouldn't be viewed as an opportunity for people uh, to commit uh, violations and abuses of this nature. It's, 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 it's inhuman, you know, it's, it's, um, it's despicable. We do not want you know, to hear about uh, those kinds of incidents in this case or anywhere. Mm. Um, let me come to you, Gerald. There is that kind of need for also uh, what was emphasized by David there for um, inter, uh, interconnected, um, more of a regional planning to humanitarian responses, especially when it comes to emergency response. We need to, to work on that as a region, don't we? Uh, absolutely, and that is what the World Food Program is doing. We, we look at uh, the countries in southern Africa as a region, uh, yes, there are borders, but the problems are common. Uh, and, uh, you know, as, as I've said and others have pointed out, uh, foremost among those problems, those challenges, is climate change. So there needs to be uh, a, a, a regional approach uh, to assessing the challenge and dealing uh, with, with the challenge. All right, let's wrap it up with you, Peter. I know you've been speaking about this uh, for a while now, this issue of better coordination. And you've been speaking also from a more political viewpoint, uh, including regional bodies such as uh, SADC. Yes, I think, uh, yeah, thanks very much. I think uh, if there's anything that uh, we need to take away, of course, uh, um, climate change is not just climate change. Uh, when it manifests as it is now in the different parts of Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi, it means that, you know, lives of people, dreams of people have been shattered. The rights of people have been devastated. And let's not forget that. That is not something that is distant. For that woman, for that child in, affected, uh, it, is, it, is, it is everything. Uh, it's every hope that that child or that woman has had. And, uh, and there's need for all of us to mobilize whatever resources that we can have 
uh, to be able to support that. Uh, we know that this kind of uh, a disaster may not be, you know, you know, politically attractive as others elsewhere. But I think uh, it's about lives and people. And I think if there's anything that we, as 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 as, as African countries, as peoples, or as uh, you know, regional entities, can take from this, is also what lessons we learn from this. What is it that we need to do differently uh, before a crisis happens? What we need to do. Uh, when it happens and also after, and uh, what investments we have in terms of capacity mm-hmm. of local structures, national governments, and regional mm-hmm. institutions like SADAC and others to coordinate more effectively. Uh, aware that, uh, uh, you know, when you invest more in local capacity, national capacity, uh, we save more lives, it is more sustainable. So let's draw the lessons and see what we learn from this so that we do things better in terms of preventing crisis and responding more effectively when it happens. Because the reality is that this is going to be more common mm-hmm than we probably thought. Thank you, gentlemen, for giving us your time. We really appreciate it, and I hope that uh, this uh, call is actually something that is uh, heeded indeed by the international and uh, the continental community. Thank you to Peter Kamalingen, who is the Oxfam Pan-Africa Director. Thank you to David Matsinia, who is Amnesty International Researcher for Southern Africa from the World Food Programme. We have Gerald Buick, who is the Regional um, Communications Officer for Southern Africa. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much for this uh, time. Well, let's quickly take a break. And then when we come back, we'll get uh, Tracy Pomgard uh, to give us our business update. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah.